right, and we're back, everybody. What's up? Welcome to another special episode of Wildlife Cake and Cocktails. We've got a very cool show for you today. We're talking Bees of Australia, a photographic exploration uh, by James Dory, out now from CSIRO Publishing. And in honor of our bee-related subject, we're drinking, uh, and it's actually a great time for it. There's a tropical, or ex-tropical cyclone, Ollie, <laughs> bearing down on us, and we're drinking Perfect Storms. So, um, yeah, kind of ideal. It's mead and uh, ginger beer. And that's pretty much it. Some ice. And we've also got some nice honey cake. Um, and uh, on to our main guest, Mr. James Dory uh, from the Northern Rivers originally. Uh, he started with a Bachelor of Science in Ecology and Zoology at the University of Queensland um, and honours studying climate-driven speciation of Fijian Highland bees. He's currently a PhD student at Flinders University and South Australian Museum in Adelaide, studying the evolution, taxonomy and ecology of Australian bees. He's very passionate about sharing his love for nature, particularly all things tiny and bee-like, as evident in the photography uh, featured in uh, a lot of media, including Australian Geographic as well. Yeah, right? yeah. yeah, cool. Um, you can check him out at jamesdoryphotography.com.au or jamesdoryphotography on Instagram, Facebook, and much more, as well as in this, the subject of our chat today, Bees of Australia, a photographic exploration. There it is. Check it out. Oh my God, it's awesome. Uh, by James Dory, now available from CSIRO Publishing. Um, it's an awesome, awesome photographic book. Obviously, um, not exactly a field guide, more of a, I guess, a table guide. So kind of fits in perfectly with all of our cake and drinks. Yeah, here exactly. <laughs> um, we're also joined by Olivia Davies, PhD student at uh, Flinders Uni studying native bees as well. How are you doing? How am I doing? Yeah. Good. Yeah, nice. And um, you guys, well, you're both just up here touring with the book. Is that pretty much? Partly. Partly? Yeah. So I'm actually doing three months of field work up the East Coast Ooh. and back down again. So this is actually, I'm just here serendipitously right, at so the same time. So yeah. book tour slash field work. Yeah, exactly. Wow. People say, can you do this? I'm like, well, I don't live there, but I'll be there. Yeah. And then, <laughs> ha, ha, yeah. Ha, ha. Very nice. Um, so, <laughs> so Olivia's is studying... Heteroplasmy, um, which is basically multiple plastid genomes and genome variation within an individual species. I mean, it's, sometimes we might think that you have like one type of mitochondria, but I mean, that has its own genome. So even within an individual or within one cell, there can be quite a bit of variation there, um, as well as Wolbachia, which is an amazing genus of uh, uh, intracellular parasitic bacteria. Um, and uh, like we were saying, pretty much the most common uh, reproductive parasite in the world? Well, you'd think so. Yeah, yeah. they're pretty much in most kind insects. of... Yeah, insects. Yeah. And, and there's do, a lot of insects. Do, do they do they cross over into a lot of vertebrates as well? No, or? no vertebrates. No. Just some vertebrates. Yeah. Well, fortunately for us. <laughs> unfortunately. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> I'm not a big fan of intracellular parasites. No. Yeah, no. yeah, we probably don't want them to. I know up here, at least in Queensland, we're mostly familiar with um, the Wolbachia pipientis strain. That yeah. is, There's a lot of work kind of done for controlling Aedes aegypti, the, the vector moth for, for, um, for malaria and that kind of stuff. So. Yeah. Um, yeah, pretty interesting stuff. There's a there's so uh, there's a lot of Wolbachia infection in, in bees as well. Yeah, Heaps. surprisingly. Yeah, yeah, right. And um, does it have much of an effect? I understand that there's some pretty cool. I guess like the the feminization and uh, male uh, infertility, and s they can do some pretty cool stuff where infected sperm can no longer infect uh, or, or no longer fertilize uninfected eggs and things like that. Yeah, they do really weird things. It yeah. depends on the host and on the strain, but yeah. we don't really know enough about it. And it's hard when you don't have a species that you can rear in a laboratory, like yeah, most right. bees, like maybe honeybees, but honeybees don't seem to have it. But native bees do, but we just can't 
really breed them up in a laboratory to see what they're doing, but they've got to be doing something. Right. Because it's just, there's just so many that are infected and it's huge, like a population-wide infection sometimes. And if everybody has it, it has to somehow spread. Yeah. Yeah, very, wow. very quickly. Yeah, fascinating. Um, so uh, what what exactly is kind of your goal at the moment with the PhD? Is are you just trying to sequence and find out a little bit about the yeah. species of Wolbachia that are out there? Or? So we have an idea that this heteroplasmy, so this, in this one particular species, they've got two different kinds of type of mitochondria, and then they've got two different strains of Wolbachia. So we think there's some kind of relationship happening there. So I'm mostly focusing on that for my PhD, that that species, that host and those interactions, and then some of the related species to see if this is a really common um, interaction in this group of bees, or is it that it's just something weird happening with that one, and then all the others have their own thing going. Yeah, very cool. Mm. So you're sampling for that up here as well on, uh, along the way? Or? Yeah, we're getting whatever we can. Yeah. So that, that's my little bit, but yeah. everything else is, is James' bit. Yeah, right. the back is really cool. And I think a lot of people just kind of ignore it because it's confusing. <laughs> and it, 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 and it is. And they don't want to do it. It's like, I want to have my little model system. Yeah. I don't have to worry about this weird bacteria that lives inside yeah. cells. Well, look, par- parasites is hard enough, but then a parasite that lives inside a cell, a parasite that lives inside a reproductive cell, like a sperm or an egg, yeah. and can mess with the reproductive cell. Like, and you that, can't culture it yeah, or isolate things, it. So, yeah, it's, it's tricky. Yeah, yeah. No, that's, uh, that's very interesting, though. Fascinating stuff. Yeah. Um, well, look, we better move on um, a little bit onto our, our main topic. But first of all, I guess I. I got to kind of admit a little bit of ignorance uh, when it comes to Australian bees and bees in general. Um, I know a little bit about like the Trigonia and the Australoplevia honey producers, right? Yeah. So um, yeah. social bees as well. Yeah. And of course we know about Apis mellifera, which is the common honeybee. Um, but uh, I guess, uh, and as mentioned in, in the book by Tim Hurd, um, most bees are actually not social animals. Yeah, that's right. So the bees that everyone kind of knows, like the honeybee or the bumblebee, right. and especially in Queensland and Sydney, people, a lot of people talk about the um, stingless bees. They're kind of the unusual ones in the bee world because they're used social, so like they're truly social bees with the queens, um, the drones and the workers in this really cool hive structure. Um, and as you just said, and as Tim wrote in the book, um, most bee species in Australia and the world are either solitary or semi-social. Um, and I've, I've heard, heard it said before, well, the best way I've heard it to describe this is most bees are like single mums in their own homes, homes, they bring on food and build the structures and do everything themselves. And how well they go is how well, um, their young go. Right. Um, and then there's semi-social uh, bees. So, for example, the bees that I'm working on for my PhD and that I worked on in Fiji, Homolictus, they're semi-social. And you can kind of think of it as uh, single mums house sharing. Okay. <laughs> so they live in the same structure, if you'd like. So in this case, under the ground, they're the same nest entrance. But they have different rooms within that nest that they kind of... Might share a bathroom, a kitchen, occasionally cross... Yeah, yeah look, cross foster the kids a little exactly, bit. Exactly, yeah. yeah. Okay. Um, I don't know how much they provision each other's cells. Right. Perhaps not so much, but they might guard the nest entrance. If someone comes in, they'll try and, you know, send them on their way. Yeah, and get some collective benefit out of that shared space. Yeah, exactly, yeah. exactly. But then, of course, there's some issues with living in a social group, such as social parasites. Yeah, like right. students like us. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, look, I mean, that's, um, again, uh, it's fascinating. Like, um, like a lot of in- invertebrates, I-, I think this is probably pretty well unlocked it definitely was by me until i started reading more about it yeah definitely and th- that's 
one of the hardest things when I was putting this book together was to have even anything to write about a lot of the species that I found because we just don't know much about bees in Australia. Um, and so, yeah, we really need to research a lot more into it. And um, we are just talking to a lady. Uh, I just did a talk at one of the Brisbane libraries and she and was another saying, one coming up if, 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 if you can make it out there to our listeners and, and whatnot. Yeah, on <laughs> Tuesday. I don't know if it was yeah, the other time. <laughs> we'll see. Um, yeah, but she's made some really great observations which suggest that there's another group of bees which is um, on the social spectrum. And we've kind of maybe thought that, but it's really nice to have these extra observations. Right. And I think it's quite exciting because we have a new PhD student who's doing some work on that, so we can send him up here and... I'm sure he won't complain about a holiday to Brisbane. No. <laughs> no. To go looking for bees. No. Yeah, you know, get, up, uh, get, up, get up north into the warm uh, tropical climate a little bit. Yeah. yeah. But this is, again, more Liv's area than mine. But, I mean, it, I mean, it's fantastic to have somebody who doesn't work on bees but is super interested in a sort of casual way making these observations that, like, I've suspected, having collected nests for quite a few years but have never, ever seen it before. Right. This multiple females of this particular species coming in and going. So we suspected it happened, we just had no evidence of that. And yeah. to have somebody out there who just loves watching you know, nature go by, and they're like, yeah, yeah, I've seen this. Was have you ever heard of that before? And I'm like, it, no, but we've, we've been really wondering. Is it something you suspected because you'd seen it in other closely related taxa? Or? Yeah, so this particular group that she was talking about, that they're called, um, this genus is called Meriglossa. It's closely related to the genus that I work on called Ampileus. And Ampileus was for a long time was thought to be the only social, as in it's very basically social, um, species in the whole family of bees. And the Coletids, which is the Coletidae's family, is the largest bee family in Australia. So it's got how many species would you reckon? Uh, I think there's like 900 or so named species. Yeah, so there'd be over <laughs> a thousand species in the family. And yeah. they're all sol solitary except for this one, which seems a bit strange. Yeah. But when we were collecting, we were looking for Ampileus and then we were collecting Meriglossa as well. And they had a similar amount of brood as to what Ampileus have. And that sort of suggested to us, hang on a second, like there's no way that a single female... That solitary would be doing solitary that. solitary female yeah, right. can like put that much effort in. There's just not enough time in the day to do yeah. that. So... We suspected that they were social, but we just we just didn't have any evidence for that. And yeah. they don't, unfortunately, the Miraglossa, we haven't found in high enough levels to do those kinds of observation experiments, unless you, by chance, happen to have some that you can watch, which this person obviously did. Just and by luck. Just by luck. Yeah. And she's made these observations, which yeah. is yeah. perfect. That's, a, that's amazing. Uh, but look, I mean, I guess that's one of the things that happens in these overlooked fields. It doesn't take a lot of observation for your observations to be unique and important or, or, or very important yeah, definitely um, and i guess that must make it kind of an exciting how, how did how did you first get fascinated in, in in this um i guess in bees and and macro photography the the small stuff um i mean there's obviously a lot of opportunity for discovery but that's not necessarily how we all kind of start down the path when we're young yeah, yeah that's, that's the thing looking so, for research opportunities like hey that's a that's a rich field exactly so is it, is it the chicken or the egg kind of thing? So I actually started my undergrad degree and in the first year, I didn't really know where I wanted to go with it. Um, so I was interested in plants, um, animals in general, so mammals, fishes, that kind of thing. Ecology overall. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Ecology overall. And I remember sitting down with a um, 
what do you call it? The guy who helps you choose your courses and your degree. And he said to me, oh, do you want to do insect science in second year? I'm like, oh, no, I'm not that into, not that into insects. I know I don't want to do that. Anyway, later on, I think that year or just early the year after, I bought my first second-hand macro lens and uh, opened Pandora's box. I started taking photos of insects and especially parasitic wasps. Right. So I know a lot of people aren't very excited about the prospects of wasps, let alone parasitic wasps. But thankfully, the parasitic wasps aren't as angry, stingy as a lot of the social <laughs> social wasps. Yeah. And they're really hyper-diverse, so we think they are now at least probably the most diverse group of animals in the world. The, 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 I guess the term parasitic wasp sounds like they're coming to get you, but really they're parasitoids of spiders and yes. other animals like that. Yes. That and they lay their eggs in, correct? Exactly, yeah. And we, so we use them a lot in biocontrol, for example, controlling, um, you know, pests, especially Lepidoptera, so moths and stuff like that that would eat, for example, cotton or go into mm. macadamias and stuff in this area. Um, so they're really good, so we can use them to reduce our pesticide use, especially if we use an integrated pest management kind of approach. Very cool. Um, but then I took on insect science, of course, and there was a assignment where you had to go and collect a whole bunch of insects and make, you know, a scientific collection. And I ended up collecting, I think, about 33 different species in native bee on a single tree at the front of my home in suburban Brisbane <laughs> over a few days. And I was like, holy hell, I'm living in this city and there's this massive diversity of bees around that I would never have known. I mean, before that, I knew the honeybee. I'd started to learn about blue-banded bees, which everyone sees around quite a lot because I think they're quite they're, they're large, they're pretty. Um, but yeah, I think the blue-banded bee, it took me a while to actually find because I was finding all these other really <laughs> awesome, tiny little insects. And I was hooked from that point on. That's incredible. We, we, um, we talk about having high reptile diversity here in sort of southeast Queensland where there's like... 30-something species of snake and we're like, oh my god, you know, 30-something species here in southeast Queensland. You found those on one plant? Yeah, yeah. one plant. Yeah, wow. And they wouldn't have caught all of them, obviously. Like, yeah, no, yeah. there would have been plenty more. I mean, mm. take yeah. that tree upside down and shake it and see how many invertebrates come yeah. out. I mean, exactly right. And that's it. So I was only keeping the bees, but there were, you know, wasps, beetles, flies, bugs, everything else. It was, it's nuts what comes to a tree and what a single flowering tree can support. Right. Yeah. And um, and from there, you know, on through, I guess, the macro photography journey onto Fijian <laughs> Highland bees. That's, um, how did you get onto that for an Oh, hour? you know, I thought it was a bit of a natural progression. No, it's <laughs> actually, uh, I, it was with this, with this book. So I took a three-month road trip around Australia, collecting bees so that I could get um, some from each state. And one of the places I went to was South Australia, obviously, and I went to the museum, museum there. And... <laughs> one of my supervisors, I don't want to live supervisors, <laughs> Mark was like, oh, I work with this guy, Mike Schwartz at Flinders Uni. Um, you should meet him when you're here and maybe you can do talk about an honours project here. And so I did and then I came back and I was working on the book and I was thinking about where I wanted to go. And the project that I could do with them was um, obviously in a different state, which would be a nice experience, and also the project was in a different country. And that country was Fiji. And so I thought to myself, well, I could do my honours up here in Brisbane and keep, you know, stay where I am, where I like it, or I could go to Fiji. And so I went to Fiji. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's a solid move. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, and Liv's, Liv's come along as well. So when I was doing my honours, Liv was one of the demonstrators there. And now I'm going back as a demonstrator as yeah, well. Yeah, wow. Mm. That's awesome. Yeah, it's really fun. It's a really cool project, a really cool thing to be able to bring 30 students overseas in yeah, the undergrad. Right. 
So you, you've done that, that tour to Fiji as well? Yeah, I've done it twice now. So basically you just take a whole bunch of keen, ecology-focused undergrad students and some honours students along and we cart them around Fiji collecting <laughs> whatever we can find. Is it, is it largely entomology-based or are you doing yeah. everything? Yeah, so there are projects that go over for birds, but we specifically go over for pollinators. Yeah. 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 Things would well back you. Hopefully, yeah. <laughs> justifies cool. me going. Right. Well, look, we should uh, we should get onto the uh, onto the book, but uh, let's just uh, quickly just for our audience, for people who are a little bit lost, um, what is a bee? I guess we should have a bit of a rundown. Um, uh, and correct me if I'm wrong. They're in the class Insecta, the order Hymenoptera of um, uh, insects with two membranous wings, uh, slightly co co connected. Um, they are in the within the Hymenoptera. They're in the uh, superfamily of bees and wasps, uh, Apoidea, and uh, within that, bees I guess are a clade of about seven families called the Anthophila. Anthophila. Don't look at me. No. <laughs> I don't. I don't. I don't speak Latin. No. <laughs> or Greek or whatever or, it was. Or, the or, origins. <laughs> either way, it includes uh, seven families and some twenty thousand species at least. Yep. I'm sure that that's an underestimate. Because, oh yeah, yeah. Oh, totally. Yeah. Again, as we said, um, now here in Australia, um, you know, much more than just the trigona and astroplebia, the little uh, little black native honey producers. Um, for you guys who can see, even that thing on the cover is actually a, a native bee, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's a, and that is just an absolutely incredible macro photo. Um, and that is mostly what you're going to find in this book. The the photography through this thing is is incredible. Um, is it largely you doing most of this, or all of it? All, all of it. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, so a lot, a lot of work. <laughs> yeah, a lot of photography work. Um, first of all, um, I guess, uh, absolutely incredible. And l like we said, while not a field guide, it really kind of um, demonstrates and celebrates a lot of the diversity that you find out there, I think. Definitely. So to go back to your first question, what is a bee? Yes. Um, bees are essentially vegetarian wasps. Okay. And that's is, is biology, <laughs> so of course there are exceptions to this. So yeah. you mentioned the... The uh, Trigonia... And yeah, so there's, there's a, a couple of species in, a, in one genus in South America, which is the exception to the rule because it makes meat honey. Meat honey. Yeah, so they go gross. and collect carrion, and I don't know what they do to it. They put it in little pots like our bees, put little pots and make nice honey. They put gross meat in there. Um, presumably they feed it to the young. I don't know if we can eat it or if it tastes bad or <laughs> if they mix it with sugar. I don't know. Um, well, yeah, so the trigona pretty much uh, similar in that they uh, collect carrion as well? Or? No, not no. here. Not here? No. Oh, just no. in South America? That's just South America. Just the two species. Okay. All yeah, right. and I don't know a lot about them, but I want to know more about them because I think that's really fascinating. Yeah. And the fact that all other bees that I know of and I think that we all know of are otherwise vegetarian. Yeah, right. So they, they go on, their protein source is the pollen. Yeah. And then they, they can mix that with nectar for the young. Um, and they also drink nectar as adults. Whereas a lot of wasps, not probably not all wasps, are meat eaters in one way or another. So obviously the parasitoid wasps are attacking caterpillars or spiders or you know, you know the nice big Some kind genetic of wasps yeah. that come around and they'll happily eat your meat or pastries or... <laughs> whatever else yeah and, and it's very cool to see like some of that um diversity in there as well i mean meat eating bees you know yeah fascinating definitely yeah um, definitely fascinating what i what i really like about this book as well you know it, it kind of does uh, you know the amount of diversity in species out there it's going to you're going to struggle to include every 
every species oh, yeah. on this. Is, is there any really good bee field guides that you recommend as well for our listeners? Or? So there is there is one written by Terry Housen who came out, I think, exactly a month before mine. Okay. And it's it's also by Syro Publishing, and it's fantastic. Um, I think he must have spent something like eight years making it because I know I actually went and visited Terry when I was making my own book right. um, and he was so helpful for me when I was over in WA Yeah. and I think he was at the five year mark when I was there and it's three years later Wow. so eight years but this guy's got a lot of experience with native bees Yeah. he's yeah. obviously very passionate about that and sharing yeah. it as well and well I guess to do a taxonomic book like that would you know, oh, yeah. really take so much work and what I do like about yours though is that how it goes by state by state gives mm. you like a really good selection of some of the amazing um, you know species that you do get in each state as well as sort of the threats and importance and the kind of the little segment there at the end of each chapter maybe describing how you can attract bees to your garden or how to make your your garden pretty friendly or yeah um yeah. you know things like that and in particular i guess the um importance of museum samples right at the end oh of the book, definitely which yeah. i guess for you as well uh, getting this book done must have been a huge uh you know contribution get being able to get into some of those museums yes so i could i could talk a lot about this so as you said it's, it's not a field guide um but the way that i wanted to design it is, is so that it'd be accessible to people i mean so if you, you know if you're a three-year-old kid and you like pretty pictures you can open it up and look at all the pretty bee pictures mm. <laughs> uh or if, even if, as an adult i mean i don't always like to read too much i can open it up at a certain page and read and just just look at the picture yeah or I'm more interested by a particular bee, it's beautiful or really weird looking, and yeah. I'll read a little bit about biology. And then obviously there are all these uh, feature pages in between, and for the whole book, and especially those feature pages, I got a lot of help from a lot of academics and uh, bee professionals around Australia, because when I was actually writing it, I'd just finished my undergrad. I knew a fair bit about native bees, but I had a lot to learn. Yeah, right. And <clears throat> And I knew that a lot of research isn't actually published. So a lot of these people, my supervisor Mike Schwartz and Terry Houston as well, for example, or whatever, they do so much work and academia is it's a difficult field to be in. You publish what you can, we think it'll be hard-hitting and you kind of leave everything else out. So these, for example, these really awesome observations we're talking about with this Merrick Gloss that Liv has made and um, they, they're, they're kind of things that go by the wayside and they're not really publishing's published. hard work. Yeah, exactly. So I wanted the book to bring some of those out. Right. As well as getting this information from these people around Australia. And they're all just absolutely fantastic. Basically, I emailed all of them, be like, will you write something for me? And they're all like, yeah, this is great. Yeah, sure, I'll do that. Um, I think there were, there were two people who didn't, but that's because they were doing a massive revision of the stingless bees at the time. And I'm like, yeah, okay. Okay. They're busy. They're yeah. busy on their own little challenge there at the moment. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Um, and uh, dude, uh, like you said, you know, there's there's some really cool information there. There's the photos in there as well. But what I really like that kind of helps to, uh, I guess, tie it into uh, reality a little bit is the little silhouette. Oh yeah. On the corner yeah. of a lot of the photos, so you'll have this amazing macro photo where you can see the tiny little bristles and and hairs on one of these, uh, you know, phenomenal native bees, and in the bottom corner of the page. Uh, there's a little silhouette that shows you how big the actual animal is. It's it's life size for an adult, and uh, you know these bees range from really really small, like a couple of millimeters, mm. um, to you know some amazing you know uh, 20, 20 millimeter sort of yeah, monster mold. bees. Yeah, yeah, fantastic animals. Yeah, no, that's it. And actually, I think a lot of people don't realize that. And I, I realized the talk today, I should, should have pointed that out because often, like, even though you're looking at these bees, and people just assume they're about the same size as a honeybee. 
Um, but yeah, like they can be down to two millimetres or, or less and they get above 20 millimetres. Lots of people say when I show them things, that's a fly. Yeah. Well, that's a loss. <laughs> no, no, it's me. I yeah. know. And no, you don't. Yeah, that's right. a fly. I know what a fly looks like. Right. So, so yeah. what is the difference between uh, a fly to be Hymenoptera versus Diptera, correct? The flies yeah. and do the Diptera? Um, no, you do it. Alright, so... <laughs> You're the bee. Okay, so... Um, Hymenoptera is the order, that obviously, that bees, wasps, ants, and sawflies are in. Um, and I think... Diptera about, is not. Diptera is not. Diptera is a completely <laughs> different order. So, the defining character for Diptera um, is that they only have two wings. Which includes the flies. Yes. All, all flies are... All diptera yeah. and all yeah. diptera flies. Yeah. Um, so it's a really great character because flies are hyper diverse and they like to mimic things. Yes. So there's there's a hoverfly I think that mimics honeybees. Yeah. Wow. Here. But it only does it with a single pair of wings. Yes. Yep. Exactly. Yes. And there are heaps yeah. of flies that mimic wasps. We found one yesterday, day before, that was mimicking a beetle. Oh yeah, that was really weird. That was weird. That's I've awesome. never yeah. seen anything like it before. Wow. Yeah, they mimic heaps of things. Bees are really, sorry, flies are really diverse and they're kind of cool and kind of annoying. But <laughs> <laughs> Like a yeah. lot of uh, small invertebrates. You know, very, yeah. very cool, but also sometimes a bit of a yeah. <laughs> Well, mostly the ones when you're out trying to sample in the desert and you're trying yeah. to have lunch oh. and you've got a hundred flies trying to get into your mouth yeah. as well. I mean, well, I, I like... Crawling around the mangroves, you've got a million midges on your face or something. Yeah, yeah. that's exactly right. I don't need that much more protein, right? I can yeah, get it from yeah. other sources. Yeah, I don't absolutely. need to flies. <laughs> yeah. Well, look, um, uh, as you mentioned, there's some amazing diversity and, um, you know, some amazing sort of evolutionary radiations in Australian bees. Mm. Um, uh, what are some of the, um, I guess, cool species for you? For, for me, just going through the book, obviously a lot of this stuff is new to me, but um, I'm going to get this right. Uh, Thyricus warunensis. Thyreus warunensis. Thyreus warunensis. Um, yeah, I'm which, butchering that as well. Yeah, so. but it's amazing. It, it's... Um, <laughs> It's, it basically looks like a reverse Dalmatian. Right? Yeah. It's like a black fly with beautiful, very um, uh, rounded white spots. Um, it's absolutely an incredibly looking animal um, and tiny, again. Hmm. Um, that's probably the favourite of mine from the book. Um, do, do you have like a favourite bee? <laughs> oh, it changes. Question. Well, there's so many it of them. Changes. Right? Yeah. It changes. Yeah. Depends on the weather, you know, how I'm feeling. Yeah. Um, no, so... That what you're describing, the common name is a cuckoo bee. And for your listeners, I suppose, everyone knows what a cuckoo bird is. It goes and lays the eggs um, in another bird's nest and makes the parents raise them. Right, it's a brood para parasite. Yes, yeah. exactly. Yeah. Um, so these bees do the same, and that one, I believe, parasitizes a blue-banded bee, which is one of everyone's favourite um, garden bees you see around quite commonly. But yeah, they get me really excited because they're not quite as common and they're really pretty. Yeah. So there's one on the east coast here called the neon cuckoo bee, which is uh, near the front, I think, in the um, preface, and they're just gorgeous, incredibly blue colours on this this almost matte black. They're stunning. And I was I was just like, as I was telling you a bit earlier before the interview, I found my first megachyle megachylid cuckoo bee. And it's really cool because I think they do a very similar thing. I haven't researched them too much because I only just found my first one a couple of weeks ago. I'm always finding new bee generates exciting. Yeah. Um, and they, they look really similar to Wyronensis, that kind of black and white coloration. I really wonder what conversion evolution might be going on there. Yeah, so, yeah. so they're cuckoo, cuckoo bees of two different bee families. So they yeah. do the same thing. They're, yeah, they're right. parasites of nests. Well, maybe they're, trying to, uh, maybe they're trying to imitate something that isn't quite as much of a... 
a brood parasite. Maybe trying to look like a little lady beetle or something and sneak their way in. I wonder, or, or maybe it makes it harder for the hosts to see them coming in, for example. Right. I'm not sure. Because those, those, the Apidae ones, so the Thyreus, I understand that they'll, they're, blue-bounded bees are really fantastic flyers. You see them go to the flowers, they're super quick, they'll hover and shoot between flowers. Yeah, they're very, yeah, right. very accurate yeah. to honeybees. And, yeah. and the Thyreus species have to follow those bees back to their nest. Okay, so, so they have to be able to track that movement as well. Yeah, right. so they have to be really good flyers. And I wonder if that kind of colour pattern makes it harder for the other bees to see them. I'm thinking of just on the top of my toes yeah. here. But that's fascinating. You know, always more questions yeah, out there. That's exactly right. Yeah, and yeah. I guess this is the cool part of uh, you know having that much diversity to um, to work with. But also a lot of uh, you know taxonomic challenges. They're small and <laughs> delicate and so variable. Like It must be a little bit frustrating at times as well. Yeah, so have you read about the cryptic bees are finding in Fiji? Yeah, a little bit. Yeah, so Cry- it's, Cryptic it's... species is, is, is always an interesting thing in yeah. and of itself, yeah, right? So, and definitely. it's unsurprising that it's happening in bees because they're so common. Uh, uh, cryptic species just, uh, I guess, is a definition for our audiences. Something that looks like it isn't a different species, but in fact is. If you were to put them, uh, two animals that look very similar together, they would not be capable of producing offspring. Even though they're very similar looking, they are actually different species. And uh, a lot of the time, these things can only kind of be easily separated using molecular genetics rather than like taxonomic physical characteristics of the animal. Yeah, right? yeah definitely. So we've, for those who don't know, probably everyone, uh, there are originally <laughs> four species described in Fiji of this um, homolectus bee. These native bees. Right. Yeah, yeah. and um, so for the past, since 2010, so the past eight years, we've been almost every year to Fiji. And every year we go back, we find more species. So now we're up to 26. Yep. And there are some really great ones. So most of the bees look green. They're really hard to... They're all grey. They're all (laughs) grey. No, sorry, really great ones to tell apart. So (laughs) most of them are green. And then there's like two blue ones. Right. And they're easy. They're colour-coded, right? And then there's there's a black one. That's easy. It's colour-coded as well. And the rest are all green. (laughs) yeah some of them have a bit of like red or purple on their back but then there's one really common species which just throws a spanner in the works by being really hyper variable in their coloration as well so we can't even use coloration right so it's, it's a lot of me looking down a microscope and being like oh those tiny microscopic punctures are small or fine right and i have had to put that into a scientific key and i don't want to be going through that key is it small or is it fine wow that's that's a, that's, <laughs> that's difficult so yeah they're really hard to tell apart the best yeah. character we have is actually the genitalia yeah right yeah um no it's like uh, that's like it sounds like bat identification um if you look through the um the um mammal key um in um oh god uh the australian mammal um field guide i forget who wrote it there's a there's a thing in there called the frustration index from one to ten which tells you how frustrating it is going to be to figure out what animal it is and you look at some of them like for example some of the bats they're at frustration level 10 and it's just (laughs) bat penises and different shapes of bat penises so you're going to be pretty frustrated looking at all those bat penises if you're going to try to figure out yeah, same thing with these, genitalia, genitalia. Yeah. yeah. How, how do you convince a bat to show it, show you its bits? I have no idea. Okay. I'm, sure, <laughs> I'm sure somebody knows, but um, <laughs> I do not know. Yeah. <laughs> so guess, that, can you ask it nicely? Um, maybe not. <laughs> I don't know. Uh, we, we can just, you know, remove it from a bee, which makes yeah. it easier, because we have the specimens. Right. Um, I don't know if it's that easy. That's no, I hope not. <laughs> yeah, maybe well, I should make a Well, museum specimens, you can, you can kind of have a look. 
Yeah, yeah, that's that's true. Yeah, that's true. I'm glad. Well, bats are kind of the same thing. They're like hyper diverse yeah. for mammals, aren't they? There's yes, especially microbats as well. Yeah, yeah the yeah. microbats are hugely diverse. Oh, they're super um, cute too. Yeah, absolutely. In an ugly way. Yeah, but I mean, again, do a very important job in mosquito yeah. control and, exactly. and insect control. Exactly. Very, very cool. I love microbats. So, um, look, obviously, a lot of cryptic species, a lot of new uh, species being discovered with genetics. Uh, a lot of opportunity for discovery for future bee scientists and so people much. interested in invertebrates, right? So much room. And I'd like there's so many people coming in to science now um, and looking at native bees because it, it's funny because uh, everyone's talking about colony collapse disorder and it's, it's generated a lot of interest in native bee research as well and how native bees are going. Uh, honeybees are probably fine, by the way. <laughs> they're, they're kind of they're a cosmopolitan species. It's almost yeah. everywhere it's cultivated and yeah. it's probably invasive well, in a lot of places it lives. Around the world, there's probably a lot of native species that are probably doing less securely as oh, the wow. yeah. Yeah. yeah, so for example, yeah. um, it's really, there's there's one of the bees that we found in Fiji. Uh, so I think they collected eight specimens in the 60s or 70s. Wow. And we collected two in 2010. And they're only on one mountaintop, and we've been back every year since, and we haven't found any more. Yeah, wow. So... Uh, yeah, <laughs> potential climate impacts there yes, or something exactly. like that. Yes, exactly. So yeah. this species might well be extinct. Well, look, um, that's, I guess, a good uh, a good segue onto, I guess, uh, why native bees are important and what the threats are at the moment. I guess, as we mentioned, climate change is a huge one, um, but there's also your typical threats of habitat loss and... Uh, climate change and uh, exotic species and I guess all of those multiple stresses combining to put pressure on them. Yes, that's exactly right. And um, Matt Elmer wrote that section in the book for me, which was really nice. Yeah, there's um, a, fan- a lot of these are covered in, in, in this fantastic book in, in those end segments, which is really Yes, awesome. and yeah. hopefully the book gives you a good intro into bees and you'll learn a, a lot more. Um, so the job that bees do, obviously for us, they pollinate our crops and there's a huge focus on the European honeybee for that and that's... The main reason, one of the main reasons it's been brought around the world, as well as for honey production. Yeah. And they're quite good at pollinating, especially those European plants that we like to grow and a lot of the crop species. Um, But the role that native bees play in crop pollination is not as well understood. Um, There's more and more research into it, as I said, because there's more interest because of the colony collapse disorder that was happening um, overseas. And so it, it is becoming apparent that native pollinators play a part in pollinating crops and often it's even just having a different functional group coming in to pollinate the same plant can increase the seed set and the quality of fruit right um and this is very new research in australia a lot of the time how native bees are helping um but then obviously what people don't think about a lot of the time is then how native bees interact with the natural environments. So obviously, they're pollinating all the native plants. So outside of that agricultural setting, I guess that that's super important is to know that there's many plant-specific pollinators, right? Many species that are fairly specific to a certain group of plants. Yeah, there, there can be. Um, it's it's probably more of a rarity than than a uh, a general rule. But it's, it's certainly the case. I think a lot of your bees are very specific to Motaceae, aren't they? A lot of yeah, the colletics. Some, some whole families or subfamilies can be very fussy yeah. about <laughs> I mean, sure, there's a lot of generalists. Pollen, pollen is pollen for a lot Ooh. of them. 
no. but uh, not so much. Not so much. Nectar yeah. is nectar, pollen's not pollen. Oh, right, yes, yeah. of course. Pollen is the protein. Nectar yeah. is the Pollen the is a bit of a challenge. Oh, I got, got yeah. those backwards all the time. Okay, yeah. yeah. So, so pollen is the protein part, um, yeah. and that's, of course, hugely variable. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And it's tricky to digest, and yeah. you got to somehow get your, your little baby bees to eat that too. So yeah. getting it into a way that they can digest as always. It's like feeding baby birds. Yeah, you know, right. there's there's some sort of like digestion things that have to happen before they can yeah. properly like, be independent with those nutrients. So, so yeah, that protein so digestion is, is probably uh, kind of one of the diversifying factors. Could be. Very that's really very well could be. Yeah. That's very that's a very new thought yeah. in bee research. So yeah, um, yeah. I, so I guess there's plenty more bee research. So much. Oh, there's we know. We know less than what we don't know. <laughs> yeah, that's for sure. And I guess that's a, a lot of the invertebrate field, right? But yeah, um, oh, yeah. yeah. And really, we can't put all the blame on bees because a lot of a lot of plants specialize to attract certain bees. A really cool example is buzz pollination. Um, I don't know if you've heard of it before. Right, yeah. harmonic. Yeah. Yeah. So basically, some uh, plants hide their pollen resources, I suppose, behind this mechanism where a bee has to go grab onto the pollen producing part and buzz at a certain frequency or pitch even to get the pollen to release so there's a really cute movie I think Katja Hogendon did it from uh, Adelaide maybe where like so basically like bumblebees do it and they go they'll grab onto a um, flower and they'll vibrate the wing muscles and they go and the pollen shoots out and then uh, (laughs) I think it was Katja she did the the video of the blue banner bees doing it and yeah, they right. headbang instead. Oh, really? Yeah, and I think someone superimposed like some metal over it or something like that. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's very cool. Appropriate. Yeah, yeah awesome. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, look, I think we're going to have to wrap it up soon, but just before we do, um, one of my favourite segments is, as well in the book was, um, I guess, how to find and how to attract bees to your yeah. garden. Uh, for our listeners, um, tips for attracting bees and attracting pollinators to their backyard. Native plants. Native plants. Yeah. Um, especially Matesi, the family Matesi. So these are the really nice plants that have often these cool oil glands that smell really great when you crush them and smell them like eucalyptus. Like, yeah, like gum trees and um, bottle brushes and yeah, melaleuca. Melaleuca, yeah. Um, yeah. Lemon myrtle's a great one. Yep, yeah, they love that. You'll get heaps of bees and a really great diversity coming to these trees. Yeah, cool. Yeah, you need... And more different things in yeah. your garden diversity so rather just, than monoculture don't do like yeah, a, exactly. a plant like a plantation of gum trees yeah okay yeah because it's nice especially if they flower at different times and yeah. then you yeah. can have they'll have those resources throughout their around. life cycle yeah that's right. what they need very cool and um i guess uh you can also potentially even make some nest resources for them yeah definitely so a lot of a lot of people really like to make um bee hotels and you're probably I don't know how much it really helps the population in the area, but it's a really great way to see how native bees nest and see which bees are in your area. Mm-hmm. The only downside is it can bring in more parasites. Yeah. For example, parasitic wasps. But this being said, a lot of those parasites are natives as well. So I mean, and important for the ecosystem. Yeah, yeah they, exactly. they have their roles and functions. Yeah. Um, but yeah, bee hotels are really great, especially because you can just chuck them up in your garden, especially if you have the floral resources around, see the bees mm. come, see what they do, see how they interact. There's a lot of really cool stuff happening. And how, how, and does, how does somebody typically make a, a bee hotel? I, Heaps of I would just say Google it. Yeah? Yeah. yeah. Google there's it plenty of it. Yeah. yeah. So there's yeah. a lot of different designs of bees. Oh, yeah. You um, basically you get, just need to make a little bit of you raised be as, structure yeah. in general. Uh, um, you need things with holes in them, but yeah, okay. basically you can be as creative as you want. It's cool. more about the size 
of the hollows that you're making, that's really it. What right. they're made out of doesn't seem to matter very much. Okay. They will, the bees in your area will pick and choose what they like. They'll let you know. They'll let you, they will. Yeah. Um, Kit Prendergast in WA, she's made a little PDF, I think, of uh, how to build certain native bee hotels. Yep. Right. Um, very cool. Which should be good. Nice. Yeah. Right. And again, all of those details are in the book. Uh, Bees of Australia, a photogra- a photographic exploration uh, by James Dory. Um, and that is available now from uh, CSIRO Publishing um, and, I guess, all good book retailers out there. Um, guys, I think that's pretty much it for now. Um, you can check out James Dory at jamesdoryphotography.com.au or at james underscore dory underscore photography on Instagram and more. Um, where else can people get your book or check out your work these days? Uh, get the book is, is pretty well everywhere. I've all the bookstores I've worked walked into so far have it. Um, you can get it online. Your favorite book sell book sale retailer, I guess, or Syro have them online as well. Um, and to check out my photos, I'd have a Facebook page which I don't work on well enough, and I also have Instagram which I also don't work on well enough because I'm doing my PhD all the time. <laughs> <laughs> and of course, my website. Uh, which I also don't work on enough. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. And uh, you can, you can uh, I guess, uh, if you are uh, interested in these guys' work, you can follow them at South Australian Museum um, or via the um, University of Flinders, uh, the Flinders University in, um, in Adelaide. Yeah, right. and our lab also has a Facebook page and, and a, website. a website, which probably isn't With worked on enough as well. Um, Gardner Schwartz? Gardner Schwartz Lab. Gardner yeah. Schwartz Lab. Wonderful. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Google it and, and uh, check them out. Um, so it is out now from CSIRO Publishing, Bees of Australia, a photographic exploration. Um, you can check it out uh, and check out CSIRO Publishing on Twitter, Facebook and social media and much more. Um, and uh, I think we're going to finish off our cocktails and our cakes. And um, I'm out of cocktail. Yeah. Well, we'll see if the um, <laughs> the, uh, the weather opens up. We might get out there and see if we can find some more wildlife. Yeah, that'd well, be cool. While we got you guys up here. Yeah. All right. No worries. That's it for now, guys. Plenty more wildlife cake and cocktails on the way. Um, we'll be back with you shortly. Cheers, folks.